Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful 2021 calendar year day here in Mahali, Punjab. We are going to open up today with the Word of God found in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 22 and following. We're going to complete the chapter today. And as I've been reading John chapter 14, I've noticed the recurring theme that Jesus is constantly talking to us about and he is constantly reminding us about. And it's something that is so difficult for us. And that is, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, notice that coming up here in this passage of scripture. He'll say it again for us uh, in our reading today. If you love me, you will obey me. And let's kind of put that into a meditative state in our hearts, in our minds, and in our thoughts. As we read this passage of scripture, and as we go through the rest of our week this week, let that be one of the focuses that we keep in our lives of what does Jesus mean by, if you love me, you will obey me. So the reading again, John chapter 14, we're starting in verse 22, and we're going to be talking about what Jesus says here. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. John fourteen twenty seven. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. A few things that I want to immediately jump into and address is, first of all, the first thing we start off with here is we're talking about a man named Judas. And this is not Judas Iscariot. Yet this might not be one of the disciples of Jesus named Judas either. There was another disciple, Thaddeus is what his name is in the book of Matthew. And in the book of Luke, Luke refers to him as Judas, the son of John. This is the same person. Matthew probably referred to him as Thaddeus because they didn't want to mix him up with Judas the Iscariot. But at the same time, Luke, as he's writing from accounts of those who were present, writes his name as Judas, the son of James. And so this is one of those Judases that would not be Judas Iscariot. Now, Jesus also had a brother from Mary and Joseph, his parents, his earthly parents, whose name was Judas as well. That is possible who we're talking about here. There was also several other Judases that we can find throughout scripture. Judas was a common name within Israel at that time. It was a derivative of Judea. Yes, Savior. Wasn't it popular also because of Judas Maccabeus? 
And it was, prop yes, it was absolutely popular because of Judas Maccabeus as well. It was also because of the tribe of Judah. And so this was a very popular name. Of course, Judas Iscariot helped make it less popular throughout the rest of history. But at that time, this is a popular name. And all we know is this, this is Judas, possibly Jesus's disciple, possibly Jesus's brother, and possibly somebody that was one of the many people that's following Jesus that speaks up. And John felt it important to record what he asked. And what he asks is, how are you going to manifest yourself to us? Now, when I think of manifest, I have always just kind of been perplexed by what that word even means in the English vocabulary of manifesting oneself. And so as, I, as I've studied, as I've looked into the word manifest, as I've looked at the definition, and as I see what Judas is asking here, when I see him say, how, uh, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? What I see him saying is, is how is it possible that we are within our depths, within our soul, within the most intimate part of our body? How is it that we know you and yet the world doesn't? That's what Judas is asking. How is this possible that we know who you are, Jesus, but yet my neighbor may not know you, or my mom may not know you, or my brother may not know you? How is it possible that I can have such assurance and understanding and a concept of who you are, and yet somebody who's extremely close to me doesn't understand who you are. And I think that's a valid question from Judas. And it's one that people ask even to this day. How is it possible that I understand who Jesus is, but yet my brother who has no desire to follow after Jesus, to love him, to obey him, to do any of those things that we were talking about meditating on when we were reading that passage of scripture. How is it possible that my brother, whom I love with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, we were birthed from the same mother. We have this same father, how is it possible that I know, how is it possible that I have had you manifest yourself to me, Jesus, but yet my brother doesn't? How is this possible? And so this is a heart-wrenching, heartfelt plea to Jesus that he's saying, I want to know how come I have this understanding, but yet somebody so close to me cannot. How come they understand things of the world so much more than they understand you? Do you see where he's coming from here? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And, and do you ever feel like the same exact mm -hmm. uh, question in your heart? I, I, I'm mm -hmm. almost like losing yeah. the way to describe it because uh, it breaks my heart to have friends who, according to scripture, are lost and dying and, and one day will face uh, an eternal judgment where they will, if they don't change their lives, be condemned to hell. And that breaks my heart. Do you have anything to, to bring to the table as far as how you feel whenever it comes to this beautiful manifestation of Jesus in your heart, and yet the the separation or the, the pain, the hurt that you feel for uh, your loved ones that do not know him. Does that make sense? What does manifest mean? <laughs> to perceive in the depths of your soul, all the way deep down, the most intimate part of you, Jesus has revealed himself to you saying, I am Jesus, I am your Lord. So that that way it's not just head knowledge. Mm -hmm. It is a, a knowledge of every part of your being. It's not something that you just know and you can write down on a test saying, mm -hmm. uh, who's the savior of the world? Jesus, because I know that because it was yeah. what was supposed to be on the exam. No, I know it inside of me, all the way deep down inside of me, my heart knows, my, my mouth 
proclaims Jesus as Lord, that's manifesting. As you were saying in your description of what manifesting is, sometimes we as people can look to the scriptures as a test. Am I going to be quizzed later? So we memorize all the facts and we want to be quizzed on it. Who was the first man ever created? Who was the first woman ever created? And if we know those facts, then maybe knowing those facts will get us into heaven. Mm. So if we memorize the facts, if we memorize the Ten Commandments, or if we memorize who all the disciples of Christ Jesus were, if we memorize how many books of the Bible are in the Old Testament, or how many books of the Bible are in the New Testament, what is the longest scripture verse in the Bible? What is the shortest scripture verse in the, in the Bible? You know, placing those things to memorization of the heart, which is good. But there's also a way of, if we know those facts... Sometimes those facts, we think, oh, that's our, that's us building our relationship with Christ Jesus. Therefore, it's factual that I'm going to get into heaven because I know these facts. Hmm. And we don't really allow ourselves to discover or to get to know who Christ Jesus is. So we may have friends or loved ones that were, well, yeah, I know who Jesus is. And he's this, 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 and this. But do we know him? Hmm. And it does break one's heart of a relationship with Christ and how good God is for in the times of mourning when you've lost a loved one and the times of happiness when new things and blessings have occurred and the moments of silence, Jesus is still there. And the moments of, just in the moments of life, Christ Jesus is there. And when we have friends and or loved ones who are, well, yeah, yeah, I know who Christ is, but, you know, he's not here. It's not like he knows what I'm going through. I have to stop and ask myself, am I explaining who Christ is to me or am I keeping Jesus to myself? Am I hiding Jesus underneath the bushel, so to say? Am I hiding Jesus and not expressing who Christ Jesus is to me when it comes to circumstances of life? Xavier, you had something to say. Well, when I think of manifestation of God manifesting himself in our souls, it makes me think of the Reformation Mm -hmm. and how Martin Luther is sitting in seminary and he's reading the Bible and he comes to Romans and he reads what Paul says is that salvation is through grace and by faith in God. And he has basically an epiphany Mm -hmm. and a realization, wait a minute, what have I mean, I've been learning this in seminary, but it finally clicked in his head is that salvation is through grace. It's not through paying your tithes to the Pope and all this other stuff, but it's by grace. And then the buying of, what were they called? Indulgences. Indulgences. And the buying of indulgences to get your loved ones into heaven. He, that was a new thing that was coming out. And he heard about it because he was in the Catholic church and he was like, but I just learned that salvation is through grace and through faith in God. And so he goes to Rome and tries to figure out why these people don't have the same knowledge that he does of the fact that salvation is through grace and not through indulgences. It's not through making money. Why, why do people think it's this way? They need to read the scriptures. And he'd tell them about it, but they wouldn't really listen. Yeah. And they didn't have the same feeling and urgency he had. And he's like, but why is that? Right. And so he started the Reformation to help other people understand that salvation is through grace and faith in God. And sometimes, I mean, I'm saying all this to say, is that sometimes even fellow believers don't always believe the same way you believe whenever you read scripture. Right. Is I've had 
moments of, oh, I believe this way and or disagreement. And so I talked with a couple of my friends about it and I would not ramble on, but I'd go through a whole litany of things of why I believe this way. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's good. That makes sense. You know, that's how I feel. But then they wouldn't apply it. And then I'd talk to leaders about it and ask them. And they're like, oh, okay, and just leave it be. And they wouldn't apply it or read on it or think about it, really. Right. Because sometimes whenever we have this knowledge, sometimes we feel inferior to those people. Of, oh, they think they're so much better than me and their biblical knowledge. But that's not what I was trying to do. I was just trying to get the point out there of, this is the way I believe, and how do you not see this? Mm -hmm. And it, it just, not only does it break my heart that non-believers can do this, but also believers who mm -hmm. believe in the same God you do, do not always come to the same realizations at the, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it just takes time. Right. We're all on different growth tracks. We're all in different ways of learning, being educated um, by God, but also developing in our relationship with Christ. Uh, some of us further along, some of us have developed a faster relationship with Christ, some of us a slower relationship, some of us have held on to our own things, not loved him, and therefore obeyed his commands, but uh, we've said we've loved him and disobeyed him and, and kind of rode the fence for a while, and yet all the while people have perceived us as being Christians and therefore holding us to a different set of standards. Um, than what we should really be held to uh, because God's not holding us to those standards. God's holding us to the standard of being exactly who he created us to be. Jesus experienced this several times and Mark recorded it for us in the book of Mark chapter four, verses 11 and 12. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus is even addressing this uh, scenario that Judas is asking him about in the book of Mark, much further in his relationship with the disciples. But yet, like so many times in my life, I'll be having a conversation with Blair or with Xavier or with Mallory or Addison or Aisha, and I'll hear what they're saying but it won't really sink in. And then I'll come back a couple of hours later, a couple of days later, maybe even a couple of months later, because I've still been ruminating over what our conversation was. And I will actually, for the first time, hear what they said months ago. And it's like, it was heard for the first time. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know all of us think, all of us process, all of us are educated in that same kind of sense where we have a conversation with somebody and they'll be like, well, I told you that. I told you that this time and this time and this time and this time and this time. However, it's in the revelation moment where we actually understand what was said to us all of those previous times and we're now able to apply it to our hearts. And Jesus is bringing that out in Mark chapter 4, and he again does that for us here in John chapter 14, where he talks to us about how he manifests himself and how we perceive him. And he goes immediately back into that, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will love the Father. If you love me, you won't be saddened that I'm going to leave you. You'll be excited that I am going to the right hand of God the Father. Because as you keep my commandments, as you love God the Father, as you are excited for eternity that is yet to come, that you will be reigning with me for all of eternity, as that joy bubbles up within you, then you will be made complete. You will be fulfilled. I want to look also at that word keep. Blair has meditated on this word keep, and she has discovered a few things about it. And I'd like if you would share that with us of what you've discovered about keep. What is the keep? It's in a boat. What, what exactly does that mean? And where did this word to keep derive from exactly? I did a study on Psalm 119. And some of those first verses, that one and two, blessed are those whose way is blameless and walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statues and seek him with all their heart. So keep, what does keep mean? The definition of keep is to guard, to maintain, to obey, to preserve, to witness, to be unashamed. So my foundation needs to be on Jesus Christ, striving to be like him, live like him in all I do and all I say. The word specifically keep is the storehouse in a castle. So if you think of a castle and you think of in the middle, there was the keep. And the keep would keep all of the food, all of the grains, and it would be so down deep that those would be one of the hardest things that if somebody came in to destroy your castle, usually the keep was left standing. So the villagers and things of that nature could come in and still get the food and still get the, the things that they needed to obtain in order to sustain life for a couple more months for a couple more weeks. So when we keep Christ's word close into our heart, which our heart is one of the strongest muscles in our body, it's deep down right in the middle of us as a physical human being. The keep is where we store God's words, God's precepts, the knowledge of who he is, and no one can take that away from us. So the word keep has the meaning of treasure, something or holding it close to your heart, to guard, to obey, to preserve, to preserve, witness, to be unashamed. So is it possible to be longingly seeking God, but still be an offense to God and his word? So meaning I can read Christ's scriptures, but if I am not applying his scriptures, if I am not keeping his words close to my heart, am I being offense to Christ Jesus in my walk with the Lord? Me personally, yeah, I can be offensive. But with the salvific knowledge of who Christ Jesus is and his grace covers, he forgives me when I say, Lord God, please forgive me. So to have a foundation on Jesus Christ, striving to be like him, live like him in all I do and all I say with a sincere heart, may I desire to know and to keep his testimonies with no selfishness intentions. So Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. 
And Jesus here is also talking about the importance of keeping his commands in this same venue. Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament. He did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to do away with the first 39 books that we find in the Bible. Instead, he came to fulfill them. And that's exactly what he's talking about here when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So us to keep, even in uh, Psalm 119, verse 4, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Us to keep in that portion has the meaning of to watch, to preserve, to be a watchman, to be a bodyguard, to be a doorkeeper. Mm -hmm. All day and all night we're to observe we're to celebrate, we're to be on guard. So we guard our heart, we guard our mind, we guard our actions, we guard what comes out of our mouth, we guard with whom we're in connections with, we guard our conversations, we guard our speeches, we rejoice with our speech. And that is keeping. And the example, as you just said, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Am I keeping Christ Jesus' commandments? Christ Jesus' commandments are beyond the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Right. There are commandments all throughout God's Word that we're to keep. Am I loving my brother as myself? If I don't love myself, if I find fault in myself, if I don't like who I am and who God created me to be, then how in the world am I going to love my brother? How am I keeping Christ's words close to my heart when I can't even find the good that's in me. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. So discovering who Christ Jesus is, to know what the commandments are, the precepts, the laws, I personally have to discover that in God's word. And with that in mind, I need to love me as Christ sees me as good. Then I'm able to love my brother I'm able to love my sister and share who Christ Jesus is because it will just continuously be flowing out of my lips. Right. And and the talk in the, in the 21st century, I have heard people talking at least the last 20 years, 10 to 20 years about wanting to keep balance in my life. How do I keep balance in my life? Oh, if I could only keep balance, I need the balance or uh, I feel like things are off kilter. They use all these different words to describe how they feel like their life is falling to pieces and how things aren't properly in the right order. Balance is given to us when we keep our love for God first and foremost, above absolutely everything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then another part of our balance is to love ourselves. How do I love myself? I've got to care for myself. I've got to, when I look in the mirror, not see myself as this horrible, rotten person. I've got to see myself as Christ sees me. I've got to see myself with the same love, affection, and attention that he gives to me because he loved me so much that he gave his life for me. When I wake in the morning, that brings me joy instead of when I wake in the morning and I go, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, all these things I haven't done. Oh, all these things that aren't getting done. Oh, if only I could do this and this and this, then maybe I would be somebody important. I would be somebody special. I would be loved by God in a different way. 
God already loves you. That's why he sent Jesus for you. So to love yourself is to see yourself as God sees you. Then I'm a married man. So the third thing to keep balance in my life is I've got to love my wife as I love myself. I must love Blair. I must put her ahead of all of the other things that are so far been talked about in order to keep balance. God's first. I've got to love myself. I've got to love Blair. That means there's nothing coming in front of these three things. Nothing can be more important than my love for Blair other than my love for God and my love for myself. Then I've got to love my children. That helps me keep balance too. And nothing can come in front of my children. Nothing can be more important than my children. I am a husband and I am a father. The only thing that can come in front of my children is my love for my wife, my love for myself, and my love for God. That's how I keep balance. Then I have my love for my close friends, my immediate family, my mom, my dad, my, my mother-in-law. Nothing comes in the way of my love for my mother-in-law, my mom and my dad, and my very close friends other than my love for my children, my love for my wife, my love for myself, and my love for God. This is how we keep balance. And yet people all the time move the order of the way they love things by what is being demanded of them in the moment. And this brings chaos, stress, a feeling of tension and war and hurt and a feeling of failure, a feeling of not being accomplished. And yet Jesus talks to us. In this passage of scripture, John 14, 27, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. And what is he really saying when he says, I give you my peace, I'm leaving with you my peace, isn't just talking about in times of war. It's not just talking about in moments of pandemic, of fighting against COVID and is it real? Is it fake? Can I get a really bad case of COVID? Can I get a really mild case of COVID? And so therefore I need a peace in order to handle. I don't think Jesus is just talking about peace in those scenarios. I believe sometimes our most moments filled with the most turmoil are moments when outwardly everything is filled with peace and yet inwardly, we're at a mighty war because it's inside of us that we're misbalanced, unbalanced. It's with inside of us that we are struggling to maintain a peace. And that is the peace Jesus is talking about giving to us. And so with this information, with this knowledge, what does peace mean to you guys? What is peace? Whenever you have a feeling of peace, it just, it doesn't, it feels, I mean, you feel calm, you feel like nothing's going to bother you, you just have this feeling that you're all right, and it it's weird, because you're usually used to having a feeling of, oh, I need to do this, I need to get this done fast, I need, you always feel so rushed, and so whenever you're in a moment of peace, it doesn't feel normal, it feels odd and weird, because you're so calm. You're so willing to listen. You're so, I mean, you're just there and you're peaceful. Mm. You're just waiting. It's a moment of peace. Uh, a, a word that comes to mind is serene. There's yeah. a serenity that comes from gifted from the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus to us to give us a complete serenity, a complete balance, a complete calmness. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Peace is a gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives unto us to discover peace of who Christ Jesus is. So in walks of life, peace surpasses all understanding. I remember a time when four years back when you were at Fortis Hospital and you had a heart attack. And in that moment, I thought, oh my, I'm going to lose him. There were other circumstances that were happening in life. And I was sitting there in the waiting room and I'm, I'm amongst all kinds of religious people in that waiting room. And in that waiting room, they opened the door, the, the nurse staff, they opened the door and I was to identify your body. They're like, is this your husband? And I said, yes. And they're like, we're going to proceed uh, the procedure on him in order to unblock his heart. And I said, okay. And they're like, make sure that that's your husband. And I said, yes, that's, that's my husband. And a fear came over me. A scaredness came over me because I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a young mom. I have three kids. I'm living in a foreign land. Do I bury him here in India? What do I do? Where do I go forth? Like all these flooded thoughts and emotions just poof, overwhelmed me. There were people in that waiting room calling out to their gods. There were people in that waiting room touching of the beads and reciting their prayers of the, for their loved ones. And I needed to make a stand in that moment and realizing that I'm a child of Christ. So I removed myself from my chair. I placed my knees to the ground and I lifted my hands up in the sky and I cried out loud, dear Lord, forgive me. God, I have placed my husband first in my life. God, will you find it in your heart to forgive me? Lord, my priorities are out of whack. My priorities are not straight. Lord, I know you are to be first and first alone. Then my husband, my husband and I, then my kiddos, and then life. God, please see fit in me to forgive me. And Lord, if you see fit to heal my husband, I place him into your hands. And Lord, if it's his time right now to leave this earth, I place him into your hands. I release him unto you. He's yours. He was yours first. He's still yours first now. And God, I know that you will be with me all the days of my life, whether my husband is here on this earth or you take him home to be with you. Wiping my tears away, I look around the room and there are many people crying with me in that very room. I had this overwhelming peace that came over me mm. and I didn't know it was going to happen. A smile came upon my face. I took myself up off the ground and placed myself back on to the seat and there was silence that fell upon that room. The prayers of the people for their loved ones ceased. There were some that day that passed away and some in there in that hospital that burned in eternity. There were others that were healed. And I walked away with my husband being healed. Yeah. But that point of that release, that point of that, God, he's yours. God, forgive me. And may I forever place Christ Jesus first in all circumstances, good, bad, the ugly, the happy, may my lips be quickened to call on the name of Christ first. Mm. And that was a 
predominantly peaceful moment in my life that even months after people would approach me on the streets of India, miles and miles away from where I lived, to say, your faith is strong in the God you serve. How is it that you could lay yourself down on the ground to call out on behalf of your husband? But not only that, you ask for forgiveness first. There's something to this God that you worship. I want to know him, but I'm not ready to know him because I'm scared. I'm scared of what my family will think. I'm scared of what my mom and dad will think. I'm scared of what my spouse will think. I'm scared of what my brother and sister will think. And in that moment, I could look at these people that I was in this very waiting room with and say, Christ Jesus is ready. Hmm. He's ready for you. And the same peace he's given unto me, he will give unto you. Absolutely. There's a few scripture verses that continue to exalt our mighty God, but also bring to point exactly what Blair's talking about because it's so relevant to us today. It's so important for us today to have that peace that passes all understanding. I'm going to start with Psalm chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Uh, Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And there's Psalm 37, verse 11, which sounds a lot like the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Then there's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which is normally read in churches throughout the month of December, specifically the first week of December, the last week of November leading up to the celebration of Christmas. But this applies to everyday life, not just Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In Proverbs sixteen seven, When a man's way please the Lord. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The Lord is the grantor of peace. He does these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Did, when we read John 14, 22 through 31, when Xavier was reading that to us, he came across this passage of scripture in verse 23 that says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Our home, referencing Jesus, referencing God the Father, referencing the Holy Spirit, whom he talks about in verse 26 and verse 27. He will send a helper. The helper is a part of our. The Father is part of our Jesus himself is part of our. He's the one that grants us peace. So when Judas asks this question, when he says, 
Lord, I know there's a constant war going on, a battlement. When will you manifest yourself to us so that that way we will uh, also have our brothers have that same revelation given to them so that that way this war will end? When will the peace be given to him? And Jesus' answer is, I'm giving you love. I'm giving you joy. I'm giving you peace. Not just I, but the triune Godhead is giving these gifts to you. Your heavenly father wants to make sure you have peace. Make sure you have joy. Make sure that you have help. And then he warns as he comes to the conclusion, just before he says, let's get up and leave this place in verse 31, he concludes with the fact that there is going to be a ruler of this world and he is coming and he's coming to divide God's people from everybody else on this earth. In other words, what he's saying is, yes, Judas, you are going to continue to have my manifest revelation granted to you, and you will have my peace to guide you. You will have my joy go with you. You will even have the Holy Spirit speak on your behalf, go before you, guard you from the rear. You will be a blessed person because I have been made manifest to you. Keep in mind that there will also be the ruler of this world who is coming to try and gather people towards his side. He is wanting people to not understand the peace that I'm giving. He wants them to go through and destroy others. He wants his people to go through and try and grab you out of my arms, my loving arms, my caring arms, eternal life, eternal joy, eternal peace. The enemy, the ruler of this world is coming and his desire is to make sure that you are not with me, but that you are with him in the eternal damnation that he has been set aside for and will have to be involved in for all of eternity. He doesn't want to go there alone. He wants to take as many as he possibly can with him. And Jesus also says this, the ruler of this world has no claim on me. In other words, once you've given yourself to Jesus, you are a part of Jesus. You are now brought not only into the fold, the sheepfold, but you were brought into Christ just as Christ is in God the Father already. You are now one with Christ so that that way you yourself no longer are allowed to be claimed by the ruler of this world. Instead, you are set apart. You are set into God's kingdom for all eternity. The only thing that can allow the separation, the only thing that can take you back into the ruler of this world's care is your choice, your decision. You're saying, you know, I've followed the peace of Christ for a while, but that's just not for me. I want to live it up in this world. Only you can make that decision. Jesus can't make that decision for you. Your mom, your dad, your grandma, your brother, your sister, no one can make that decision for you. Only you can make that decision of, am I going to love Jesus and keep, as Blair was describing, keep his commandments inside of my inner depths of my being and, and live off of the word of God? Or Am I going to allow my keep, my heart, to be penetrated by the enemy and all of the goods and all of the treasure to be stolen? 
because that's what the enemy comes to do, remember? He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. And his desire of stealing is to steal God's word out of your heart. His desire of stealing is to take the treasure that Jesus is placing there and that you are storing up for all eternity, and he wants to have a claim on it. But Jesus says, the enemy has no claim on me. And if we submit ourselves to him, he has no claim on us either. That is the good news that we have today. That is the good news of who Jesus Christ is. That is the revelation that as we read from the Proverbs and the Psalms and the book of Isaiah of who Jesus was, we are seeing it fulfilled today in the 21st century. In January 2021, Jesus today still gives peace. It doesn't matter if you're facing the pandemic he gives you peace. It doesn't matter if you're facing some kind of war. He grants you peace. It doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. He gives you peace. If you're peaceful on the outside and everything is going really good for you right now, but yet for some reason, your mind is in constant turmoil and battling things that you're just unaware of why you would even think about such things. He grants you peace. The ruler of this world has no claim on Jesus. And when you are in Jesus, he has no claim on you. Is there anything else that we have in discussing God's word today that you would like to bring up? Well, in our peace, in moments of peace, I've always felt, I've always, it's always brought about a sense of stillness. I mean, mm -hmm. whenever Christ is sleeping on the boat and the boat is rocking and turning and waves are splashing over it and everybody's moving and they're frightened for their lives but jesus is asleep because he has the peace with him of that even in that moment of chaos within himself it's still that chaos doesn't bother him because with that peace it's caused all the chaos to go away mm -hmm. just even in your when you're in a moment of chaos with the peace of the Lord, it seems to just fade away. It doesn't bother you because he grants that to us. Mm -hmm. But the disciples were so afraid for their lives that they forced Jesus to wake up. And he's like, where is your faith? Yeah. Because if you have faith, I would have granted you peace in this moment. And you wouldn't have been scared. But then he gets up on the boat and he commands the waves and the wind, peace, be still. Yeah. And in our moments of peace, everything around us may seem chaotic, and it may still continue on to be chaotic, but it's still within us because God has granted us that peace. Oh, Mallory is applauding you, Xavier. Thank she you. likes your point. In closing, Jesus made sure that it was mentioned in the writing of John that all of these things would be given, these teachings would be brought to our mind so that that way there would be a remembrance in those moments of hardship and trial and turmoil. And John wrote them down and Jesus said, I'm telling you these things before they happen so that that way you will believe. You will believe that Jesus is the Savior. You will believe that joy is coming. It may seem like things are hard now, but joy is coming. He also reveals to us that Maybe everything is going great right now, yet 
That joy comes alone from God himself. He talks about the fact that we need to make sure that we continue to recognize and keep those commandments, even in the moments of good, even in the moments of rejoicing, even in the moments of, wow, this is, nothing could go wrong. This is so perfect. In those moments, we still got to keep God's commandments. And there's been times I, I knew a guy in America that he said he had come from China and he said that the biggest hardship for him in being a Christian in his whole entire life was not being in China and being persecuted for being a Christian. The biggest hardship he faced was being in the United States of America with a nice fancy house, a fancy car, and the ability to get anything he wanted whenever he wanted, that that was where it was harder for him to keep the commandments of Christ than in those moments when he was getting beaten almost to death because he was a believer in Jesus. The ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on Jesus. And if you are in Christ, he has no claim on you. So be of good cheer today. Be excited. Be joyful. Accept the peace of Christ, calling on him as your Lord and Savior, and that nothing else, no one else, no other God, no other person, no other possession can hold that place of ultimate authority in your life. Let it be Jesus and Jesus alone. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We're not talking about wealth. We're not talking about prosperity. We're talking about things that have eternal value. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things will be given to you when you seek first the kingdom of God. And these gifts have more benefit than all of the wealth that you could even possibly imagine. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will have a great day today and that everybody will say, stay safe and that we have a wonderful year this year. Amen. Amen.